won't back down until she's found. I'll go meet whoever needs to meet me. A mother's emotional appeal and the new online campaign on finding her missing daughter. Plus. By then it was too late to save her. A man who tried to save his neighbors talks about lessons learned nearly a year from last year's heat dome deaths. It ran off and she was trying to catch it basically and she tripped and hurt herself. A runaway dog leads to trouble on the trail for a lucky hiker and a safety message from Search and Rescue. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A desperate plea today from the mother of a woman who was last seen in Vancouver about three months ago. Tatiana Harrison's disappearance has friends and family deeply concerned and has now led Vancouver police to launch a social media campaign in hopes of generating fresh tips into the young woman's whereabouts. Imad Agahi reports. Yeah, my shoes are worn and they were brand new when I started and they look old. Yeah, they've been worn out. For months now, Natasha Harrison has been determined to find her daughter. Walking the streets of the downtown east side in Vancouver, no matter where they take her. I won't back down until she's found. I'll go meet whoever needs to meet me, whoever needs to say anything. She's looking for 20-year-old Tatiana Harrison, whose disappearance is being investigated by the major crime section of the Vancouver police. I'm Detective Kevin Boyle with VPD's Missing Persons Unit. Four times now, the VPD have appealed to the public for tips on Tatiana's whereabouts, including now a new social media campaign with a timeline showing what investigators know. On March 23rd, Tatiana went into the RBC at Main and Hastings Street in Vancouver to report her bank card lost. She gets a new card, withdraws cash, and is seen with a man who has not yet been identified. Right now, this is somebody that we want to speak to, um, as we believe he was with her um, towards the end of when she was last seen. The next day, Tatiana sent her mother a text message from a new phone number. It was an unknown number, and we are uh, actively trying to track it down. Tatiana has been seen twice more, April 7th at Robson Park in East Vancouver, and on April 22nd at the Grand Union Pub near Abbott and West Hastings. But perhaps the most concerning element of her disappearance, the fact Tatiana has stopped collecting her social assistance checks. And that just screams that she's in trouble. Saturday, Natasha Harrison had this message for her daughter or anyone who may have seen her. Tatiana, I love you very much. I will do anything it takes to find you. If somebody knows who she is, I'm just begging you to please reach out and let us know she's safe. So that last text message from Tatiana to her mother came at the end of March. And since then, that has been uh, the last bit of communication between the two of them. Uh, her mother today had an emotional message that she would not give up. She would not quit walking the streets, putting posters up, talking to people here in the downtown east side until her daughter is found. Emad Global News. Vancouver police confirm a Port Coquitlam teen recently found dead in a downtown Eastside apartment was discovered in the same room where a man was found deceased earlier this year. Noelle Ellie Osoup's body was found on May 1st inside the building at 405 Heatley Avenue. RCMP say the 14-year-old left her Port Coquitlam home on May 12th last year and had been missing until the coroner identified her as one of three people found dead in the Heatley block since February. 
Osoup's body was one of two found in the apartment on May 1st. A man was also found dead in the building on February 23rd in the same room where Osoup's body was found more than two months later. This is very concerning, uh, quite unusual as well, I'll add. Um, so that's why we have our major crime section on this and, and we're working to determine what happened here. The cause of both these people's death, Noelle and the other person right now, it is uh, unknown. In late January, Coquitlam RCMP released these photos of a person they were hoping to identify to determine if there was any connection to Noel Osoup's investigation. The individual had short black hair, was wearing a BC Fairies jacket and B clean vest, dark pants and black shoes. They were last seen near Surrey's Gateway Skytrain station. At this time last year, many British Columbians were just starting to swelter under an unprecedented heat dome. And while this weekend's heat is nowhere near record-breaking, it's making nearly everyone super cautious about trying to keep cool. Julia Foy has more. I was hot as heck. Burnaby resident Tom Harries has vivid memories of last summer's heat dome and the tragic trail it left behind. There was three people here that passed away that night. A year ago, between June 25th and July 1st, temperatures soared across B.C. to record-breaking heights. It caused chaos for people seeking medical help, including Harry's neighbour, Trina. She was definitely in distress. Um, again, we tried to phone 911, nothing. Trina died before the ambulance arrived. The B.C. Coroner Service determined that 619 people died from the heat. People dying from heat, it's, it's a failure of, our, of our, the way that we live. It's not a failure of the health system. Officials are now trying to help people prepare for future spikes of extreme temperatures. Sometimes it is hard for folks to realize, A, that their home is getting really hot, and B, that their own bodies are getting really hot. And so that's one of the reasons that we're encouraging people to actually use uh, thermometers. You know, sometimes your thermostat will be a good indicator, but you can even have a thermometer that's in the room you're in um, to monitor a little more closely. On Saturday, a planned power outage in New Westminster neighbourhood left hundreds of residents without electricity to cool themselves for six hours while crews repaired a hydro box. Some locals found relief at a nearby water park. It's perfect having this because, yeah, it's pretty hot in the house. But many people are racing to stores to find a way to stay cool at home. They're going to go, especially with the way the weather looks like in the next little bit. And we, and we know people, once it gets really hot, people start to look for them. So, so get out early and get them for sure. As for Harry's, he's still heartbroken that three of his neighbours died in the heat wave. He has a message about how we can do better in the future. Don't live in a bubble in your own little yard. Look after the people around you because the people around you are going to look, look after you. Julia Foy, Global News. To the flood watch across B.C. now, the risk of flooding remains persistent in the shoe swab due to temperatures this weekend and heavy rain in the forecast for the next week. The mercury is expected to climb to the low to mid-30s over the next several days in the shoe swamp. And then thunderstorms may also move into the area, bringing with it the potential for localized heavy rainfall. On top of that, rising freezing levels are expected to increase the rate of snowmelt as well. That means a greater possibility of increased stream flows due to runoff. Residents are being warned to remain vigilant about high water conditions and to reinforce flood protection measures, including sandbagging. 
In Kamloops, the South Thompson River has now creeped into the Riverside parking lot. The city says the river has risen nearly 30 centimetres in about a day. And with this weekend's heat combined with the melting snowpack, it's expected to keep rising into next week. But so far, the city says there are no major impacts to infrastructure, but residents are being warned to remain vigilant. We certainly avoided, uh, you know, a, a, a drastic looking event here um, and we have got a much more favorable forecast as we head into the weekend. Uh, next week is still a concern though. Tuesday, Wednesday, if there is uh, the rains they're calling for, we are going to see a spike that could get back up to that 1999 level again. Residents are also reminded to stay away from the water, which is extremely high and moving very fast right now. Officials add that they currently can't navigate up and down the Thompson River with the Kamloops Fire Rescue Boat, making any potential rescues more difficult. Further south, the city of Chilliwack has issued an evacuation alert for seven properties in the Cary Point area due to flood concerns along the Fraser River. The city says its dikes will be able to handle the projected river flows, which are expected to be a one-in-20-year event. However, these seven properties between Ballam and Cary Road lie outside of its dike system. Residents in this area are urged to be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. In Kelowna, a devastating end to the search for a woman who is believed to was swept away by floodwaters at Mission Creek 10 days ago. Global's Victoria Famia reports. After countless hours of searching for Chelsea Cardinal and her dog JJ, her body was located in a flooded area of a farm near Mission Creek. Her family now making the announcement they hoped to never have to. Through their Facebook group dedicated to finding Cardinal, her mother Diane wrote, it is with very heavy hearts that we have to announce that we have found our sweet Chelsea. She went on to thank everyone who dedicated the last two weeks to helping to find her daughter. Mounties were notified a body had been found on this property in the 3600 block of Burrard Road just after 5 p.m. Friday. The BC Coroner Service, RCMP and Central Okanagan Search and Rescue were on scene. On the morning of June 14, the day she went missing, Cardinal and her dog JJ went for a walk near Mission Creek and never returned home. Cardinal's vehicle was located in a parking lot near Mission Creek. Officials believed the 31-year-old and her dog were swept away by the fast-moving water in the creek, which had spilled its banks early that same morning. Cardinal's disappearance prompted a massive search effort from Central Okanagan Search and Rescue, the RCMP and hundreds of volunteers from the community. COSAR was expected to resume the search for Cardinal early Saturday morning, but that search was called off. Kelowna RCMP confirmed the body was that of Cardinal, adding that there will be no criminal investigation and BC Coroner Service will continue to be lead investigators. There is still no word on the whereabouts of Cardinal's nine-month-old German Shepherd that was by her side the day she went missing. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. Firefighters in Richmond are investigating what sparked a fire on Mitchell Island that could be seen for kilometers for a time. Crews managed to quickly knock down the bulk of the fire at a wood products company on Twig Place Road this afternoon. For a short time, heavy smoke from the fire could be seen from the Knight Street Bridge. Although the cause is under investigation, the fire department says there is no danger to the public. Oh, it was down, I'm, I'm going to say probably within 10-15 minutes we had pretty good control and mitigation of it with still some spot fires and we're working on spot fires currently right now as well. 
The fire department says the incident is a good reminder as the weather gets hot and the region dries out, the fire risk will also increase. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to locate a missing 84-year-old woman. Yun Di Zhu was last seen on Friday, June 24th around 10.30 a.m. near 80th Avenue and 158A Street. Zhu is described as being 4 foot 9 inches tall, 80 pounds with short black hair. She was last seen wearing a gray fleece zip-up jacket. Police and family are concerned for her health and well-being. Anyone with information on her whereabouts is asked to call Surrey RCMP. And Richmond RCMP making this plea to help find Muhammad Batapa Hamada. The 25-year-old was last seen on Saturday, June 18th in the 7,000 block of Westminster Highway. He's described as being 5 feet, 9 inches tall, 181 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. He was wearing a grey jacket, blue shirt and brown pants. Police say they're very concerned for his well-being. If you spot him, you're asked to call local police or Crime Stoppers. Long-term plans to revitalize Granville Island over the next few years are well underway. And a lower mainland man's calls for greater pedestrian access throughout the area appear to be in lockstep with what officials are planning for. Paul Johnson reports. How about a whistle and a stroll through Vancouver's Granville Island? With the sun finally out and tourists back, the island is a natural destination for a walkabout, with plenty to lift the spirits, except for possibly this. Cars and pedestrians seldom mingle well, and the crowded roads here are strained more than ever. Who wants to dodge the cars, and who wants to be in them when it's like this? Granville Island is uh, essentially a dead-end uh, street. Mark Melnicek has created an online movement calling for much of Granville Island to go car-free on weekends. In his vision, exceptions would be made for workers, deliveries and people who live there. But the island would be on a sure path to favour people over cars. It's the standstill traffic. Uh, no, one, no one is getting any enjoyment of trying to get down to Granville Island. It's really exciting that people are out there talking about this in the news and that there's broad felt interest in having fewer vehicles on Granville Island. That's Tom Lancaster, the general manager of Granville Island. He says Melnichuk's vision is actually in line with the long-term plans they already have. To make it work, there'd have to be more transit options. So he's already working to integrate the little ferry boats into the TransLink system and restore the streetcar service that briefly ran during the Olympics. The moment we can get that streetcar going, which we think, believe, is going to be sometime in the next couple of years, we'll be able to connect to the regional transportation system pretty well. While hitting all the right notes for being thoughtful and green, is car-centric Greater Vancouver ready to support a car-free Granville Island? Melnichuk says you've got to start somewhere. On Granville Island, Paul Johnson, Global News. Search and rescue crews expect to be busy with the nice weather. A woman had to be rescued from a trail on the North Shore Mountains just after noon today. She was about five kilometers up the trail towards Northern Falls when she injured her ankle. She had to be helicoptered out and loaded into a waiting ambulance. Rescue crews say the woman appeared fit for the run, but her footwear may have let her down. And they're reminding everyone headed out to be prepared for the summer heat.
well, we haven't been used, used to it this year. So it's been cold, it's been wet. Um, and this year, uh, and, you know, and then this weekend, it suddenly got hot. Uh, so we're expecting high 20s, 30 degree weather. Um, so, so people are going to dehydrate. Um, so, so certainly taking a lot of water with you. And a long-line rescue in the Lions Bay area this afternoon when a woman and her dog ran into trouble. She was hiking on the Mount Harvey Trail when her Jack Russell ran off. She tried to catch her pet but tripped, injuring her knee and tailbone. She also ended up falling into a gully. A search and rescue team got to her by ground to stabilize her, but she needed to be long-lined to safety. Always have someone with you because when you're on your own and you take a fall like that, if you're so phone dies, you're in trouble. She was only on 10% battery power left. So if that had run out, it would have been a very serious matter. And although we like to have our dogs with us, you know, they can be a problem on trails, especially off leash. And luckily they managed to find this dog before it really ran off. It would be a big problem for everyone trying to find the dog even after rescuing her. So it's just a bit more challenging. Across America, millions of angry protesters took to the streets while others are celebrating after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the federal law that guaranteed a woman's right to abortion. The decision on banning or allowing abortions now rests with each state. But already abortion clinics are shutting their doors and new state laws making abortions illegal have gone into effect. Global's Jennifer Johnson has more on this historic decision. I fight my from coast to coast, angry protests after the Supreme Court's expected but still shocking decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which has guaranteed a woman's right to abortion for the past 50 years. We won't go back! My first reaction was fury at what it means that now, legally, the status of women in America is breeder and incubator. I'm going to give you a doctor's name. Generations of women thought this day would never come, that an established law for half a century would never be overturned. It was devastating news for Elizabeth Kiefer Krauss, who had to make the excruciating decision to have two late-term abortions to save her own life. And there are about 26,000 of us every year who are in situations like mine. After the high court's decision, 26 states will soon make abortions illegal or severely restrict them. Last year, over 300,000 abortions were performed in those states. Already Arkansas state leaders have taken action. Anyone caught performing an abortion in Arkansas now faces 10 years in prison. In Wisconsin, Planned Parenthood immediately stopped performing abortions. The medical director had to break the news to patients in the waiting room. Today, I had to look people in the eye and turn them away when they were seeking abortions. In at least eight states, abortions will be illegal, even in cases of rape and incest. Women will now be forced to travel to other states to get an abortion, but that will be costly. Situations may become dire for many. It's poor women, it's black women, it's immigrant women who are going to be most affected by this because they are the ones who do not have the resources to travel three states away where abortion might be legal. Why women now say their voices have to be heard at the ballot box come November. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Back here in Canada, a terrifying morning in Toronto as police say a man attempted three robberies involving a car, bike and boat with a so-called attack dog. The human canine duo's crime spree began just before 3 a.m. near Lakeshore Boulevard West, where the suspect put his dog on an Uber driver who later suffered serious leg injuries. 
The suspect and his canine fled in the Uber driver's car. Less than two hours later, the same pair approached a woman at a small park. She was injured by the dog and the suspect took off with her bike. The mayhem ended at the Etobicoke Yacht Club, where a man woke up to find someone trying to steal his dinghy. A confrontation ensued and the suspected thief and dog fled. We believe the same man was responsible in all of these incidents. Uh, officers arrived to that scene fairly quickly and they were able to pin the suspect to a specific area and then we mounted a search. We were able to find him af after a number, a bit of time and he's been taken into custody this morning. We've turned the dog over to animal services who've described the dog to us as extremely vicious. Police say the suspect dog is around 100 pounds and believed to be a pit bull or a mastiff. Criminal charges are expected. Here in B.C., ambulance support may finally be coming to the Kamloops area. The region has struggled over the past several months, sometimes relying on just one ambulance to serve the city of 90,000 people. But new paramedics are being brought on, and that has some in the region even talking about service expansion. We get the story from CFJC News. Despite recent paramedic shortages that have left one ambulance to serve Kamloops during a night, the Interior Director of the BC Emergency Health Services says the province has stepped up and provided the most full-time paramedic positions it ever has. In my career, in the last year or two, I've seen the largest number of changes in the creation of those full-time positions. The BC government responded to the heat dome last summer with more paramedic positions that have benefited smaller interior communities. President of the Ambulance Paramedics of BC says while it's great that communities like Barrier and Clearwater gained full-time ambulance service in the last year, other communities closer to Kamloops, like a growing community in Sun Peaks, deserves one as well. But right now there's a lot of areas that don't have ambulances that need, need priority. Clifford says that way it's less likely that resources will be pulled from Barrier and other such towns. Sun Peaks Mayor Al Rain says a 24-hour ambulance might not be cost-effective. But he feels the resort municipality needs a hybrid model. There are currently firefighters in the community with paramedic training, but there's no ambulance to transport injured people, whether it's to its health center or RIH. I've often thought we should have an ambulance here, and rather than, uh, and in the case of a very critically injured person, rather than uh, looking after them for an hour here in Sun Peaks waiting for an ambulance. Uh, we should have the ability uh, with an ambulance to transport those people immediately to uh, Royal Inland. In the recent census last year, Sun Peaks doubled its population from 616 to more than 1,400 people living there. However, BCEHS can't commit to anything yet. So I can't speculate on specific changes in the future, but as a service we do monitor our call volume where the calls are happening and that helps us figure out the best place to allocate those resources. Swain says hundreds of positions have been added in the last year, but recruiting paramedics into those positions has been the challenge. Uh, for us as an ambulance service, it was a challenge during COVID to bring people in and, and train them uh, during COVID and, and the many restrictions that we had. Chat Class and CFJC News. Vancouver's iconic Dragon Boat Festival has fully returned to False Creek for the first time in three years. <laughs> 
The three-day festival includes live musical performances, cultural exhibits, and of course, dragon boat races. More than 100 teams from across Canada and the U.S. will compete for medals during the championship finals this weekend. Organizers had unveiled a fleet of 18 new boats that will hit the water this weekend with the artwork designed by local BC artists. Dragon Boat is such a communal sport. It's also such a team sport. So I really wanted to embody that team spirit into the boat. And almost literally it says team on the side of that boat, just so people that are like onlooking can see that this is actually a team that's paddling. We are, you know, a little bit down because of COVID still. A lot of teams make their decisions in January and February on what they're going to attend. And so that was a height of um, one of the peaks of the pandemic. So we are impacted by that. We don't have quite as many international teams as usual. But this year we have 135 teams from Canada and the U.S. Uh, that's approximately 4,000 racers. Well, and as far as the forecast is concerned, the timing was perfect as we bring in Kasia Badurka right. for a look at the forecast, standing behind you there as well. Yeah, and the timing of this photo was mm-hmm. perfect too. You'd think we planned that, right? A <laughs> kayak today on Pitt Lake brought to us by Nathaniel. Look at those bluebird skies. Amazing photo. Comparable conditions in Okanagan uh, at Okanagan Lake, rather. This is close to Summerland. Rick Stahl brings us this photo. Just amazing. Daytime highs today, well above seasonal. It was 27 today in Kelowna, 22 in Williams Lake, 27 in Fort Nelson, where thunderstorms are a booming. And it's really happening across the prairie provinces all the way through to Ontario and Quebec, as you can see. And earlier today, we actually had tornado watches and warnings in the Interlakes region of uh, Manitoba. That since has dropped, but over here, we continue to have a severe thunderstorm watch and warning in place. The warning for the North BC piece, this is where we could get large hail, very heavy downpours, strong winds, you name it. So dangerous conditions, really. And they're happening now, those thunderstorms. It's 23 right now from the Wall Centre Tower Cam. Overnight, dipping down to temperatures of 15, so that is a good reprieve from the temperatures. Tomorrow afternoon, a daytime high of 25 near the water, 33 away from it. So it's going to get hotter in the Fraser Valley, as you can see in this photo taken in the valley by Kim O'Neill, showing us the Fraser River in this area has in fact spilled its banks. Now, at this point, we are not seeing any advisories for the Fraser River uh, down here across the lower mainland. But you will know we still have many advisories across the province, this due to the active weather and, of course, the excessive heat over the next few days. The Quinell River being of greatest concern, it is expected to be peaking Tuesday through Thursday as a result of this heat. But on your Sunday, here's what you can expect. We do have thunderstorms possible yet again for the same places that are experiencing it today. Sunny skies, otherwise for everybody, 26 degrees for you in Prince George, 30 in Kelowna, 31 Castlegar, 28 Cranbrook, and 32 in Hope under nothing but sunshine. We're not expecting any instability over here for the development of thunderstorms, so we should remain calm and sunny into the afternoon and the evening hours with a look at your long range. Nitu, it looks like we're going to be seeing changes come Tuesday. It'll cool off. Good to know. We'll prepare accordingly. Thanks, Kasia. It is a sign of the times. One of the Lower Mainland's last standing movie rental shops has closed its doors for good today. Customers flocking to Black Dog Video this afternoon to say goodbye one final time. The video rental store has been a fixture along Commercial Drive for nearly 17 years. The owner says the closure was imminent due to a number of factors like decline in business, rent increases and the rise in streaming services like Netflix. It is bittersweet. We've been doing this for a long time. hate to give it up, but um, time, the time has come. 
Uh, a lot of them are really sad. Like, yeah, like we've had people in here in tears. Um, you know, people bringing us gifts, cards, and uh, people really liked us way more than I thought, which is which is really nice. But uh, yeah, it's a, there's a lot of really upset customers. Last week, we showed you how Vancouver's Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden held a special one-day show to highlight downtown Eastside art. After our story, one of the street artists whose work was displayed invited us to visit him at his studio. Kristen Robinson has a NewsHour follow-up. Big recycled artboards and whatnot, and create art with it. We caught up with Edgar Allan Rossetti on East Hastings near Carroll Street. This is all, this is all freehand. All where the self-taught indigenous artist adds his own street flair to the traditional Kassan style of Northwest BC. But art is just life in general, right? It's healing, it's, it helps people. Creating art is part of the residential school survivor's recovery. Rossetti is from Prince George, where 26 years ago, he donated his time to help design this mural, a project to deter vandalism. It is the largest piece I've ever worked on, especially on the scaffold up there. After this, Rossetti says he got divorced and started using drugs. Smoking crack, making quick crack cocaine, 13 years clean now. 13 years clean. Uh, this is all my pants. He relies on the binning economy for art supplies, which he says are sometimes lost in the city's daily street sweeps. Still, he perseveres. I do it because it's passion, just to clean. The longer I do art, the longer I stay straight. If I'm not here doing my art, I'm using. Morning, guys. After a decade on the street, Rossetti had no idea his work was on display blocks away. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast. Where are you starting things off at today? Uh, we got a little football. Okay. Be a lot of football. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nathan Rourke and the Lions are back at it tonight, 7 o'clock at BC Place against the Argos. It's been two weeks since the Lions walloped Edmonton 59-14 in their season opener. They had the bye week to enjoy and reflect on that first game, but it's back to business tonight. And for Rourke, that means full support in the stands from his family, who almost got as much TV time as he did in that win versus Edmonton. Here's Rourke. Short yardage or not. Rourke to the 30. Rourke down to the 20. Rourke to the 10. All the way to the end zone. Get out of here. Parents are happy. As Nathan Rourke kept putting up fantastic play after fantastic play, his parents Robin and Larry got to celebrate right along with him. They moved to Maple Ridge a couple of years ago from Ontario to be closer to family and to watch their son play with the Lions. To have them in the stands in person to watch a special performance like that is something the quarterback does not take for granted. You know, football takes you in a lot of places and uh, you meet a lot of people and you find out that you're luckier than a lot of people, you know, and to have both parents in, in the picture and for them both be very involved and and, and what, what I'm doing is, 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 is quite a pleasure and, and I'm quite lucky to do it and it means a lot for them to continue to follow me. It wasn't just mom and dad who got major TV time. Nathan's great-grandmother was also at BC Place and was certainly enjoying the party with everyone else. She's got a couple Stellas there? <laughs> you really drink those beers? Or no, no, no. I, I like to clear that up. Um, she, she definitely loves her wine. Uh, she's turning 97 this year. Uh, lives at home in Victoria by herself. 
Uh, so very independent, but obviously the wine's doing something for her, but the beer's cans were not hers. I don't know where that came from. They were just there when she got there. But great-grandma and the others will be back again versus the Argos to cheer on Nathan, who generated five touchdowns in his first game. They plan on celebrating another Lions win and a special day for Nathan's mom. Since my mom is turning 50, so they're going to have a suite um, for a bunch of family, and it uh, should be a good time, hopefully even better time if we win. Yeah, hoping for a great party at BC Place. CFL today, 0-2 Edmonton at 2-0 Calgary. Second quarter, Elks up three, extend the lead. Nick Arbuckle to the former Lion, Manny Arsenault, who takes this one all the way. 33 yards for the touchdown, 13-3 Edmonton, but Calgary's made a habit of coming back in their games early this season. Bo Levi, Mitchell going deep for Reggie Bagleton, down to the three. Stamps took it in from there. It was 13-10 Elks at the half. Third quarter, after a Stampeder interception, Mitchell goes 28 yards to Malik Henry. Stamps have their first lead, and they still lead. It's 30-20 to 20 right now, Calgary, very late in the fourth. Wimbledon starts Monday in London. Bianca Andreescu will be Canada's top-ranked uh, women's player competing. Leila Annie Fernandez won't play because of a foot injury. She won't be back until August. Andreescu is starting to find her form after taking nearly a full year off to take care of her mental health and to train. Today, she was in the final of the grass court tune-up in Germany, looking for her first WTA win since the 2019 U.S. Open. Bianca taking on France's Caroline Garcia in today's final of the Bad Hamburg Open in Germany. Bianca had a strong first set, trading some big ground strokes with Garcia. And then she will load up the forehand. That's Bianca in the near court in the yellow. Fires the cross-court winner. Took the opening set in a tie break. She was up 4-2 in the second set in control. But Garcia, after a medical timeout, found her form. Steps into the forehand. Took the second set 6-4. Bianca did fall down an early break in the third, but stuck with it. Big serve. Sets up another winner down the line. But Garcia held her nerve, serving for the match. She will rip the forehand winner, and Caroline Garcia takes it 6-4 in the third to win the Bad Homburg Championship. Still a very good week for Bianca, who got quite emotional afterwards. She's had a tough 18 months getting herself in the right frame of mind to play tennis at the highest level. My team, I wouldn't be here without you guys, all the support that you've given me, and Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys stuck with me through the toughest moments, and that's all anyone could ever ask for, so thank you. The Whitecaps have fought their way back into the playoff conversation in the MLS Western Conference. Vancouver is 5-2-1 in their last eight, and with the exception of that blowout loss in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, have played their best soccer of the season. They'll try to keep the momentum going tomorrow, 5 o'clock at BC Place, against the New England Revolution, who have a similar record to the Whitecaps, so certainly a winnable game. Earlier today, MLS from Seattle, Sounders and Sporting Kansas City, Sounders and Whitecaps beginning the day tied for seven in the West, but Seattle's starting to find its quality after a slow start in MLS. 
focusing uh, so much on the CONCACAF Champions League, which they won. Will Bruin gives them the early lead. More of the same in the second half. Looping cross to Jordan Morris, who heads it to the far side. Sounders have a lot of offensive weapons, and it was the usual suspects doing the scoring today. Five minutes after the Morris goal, he sets up another one. Christian Roldan taps it into the open net. Sounders roll 3-0. Seattle moved three points up on the Whitecaps in the West and still have a game in hand. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Brewers from Milwaukee. A tough start for Yusei Kikuchi, roughed up for five runs in just two-plus innings. Couldn't find the strike zone, and when he did, the Brewers punished him. Mike Brasso with the homer, 5-0 Brew Crew in the third. Jays got to within 5-2, and then Bo Bichette will crush one. A solo shot to center, his 12th of the year, but the Jays fall just a run short in Milwaukee. 5-4, 5-4, Brewers win. PGA Tour stop is in Hartford for the Travelers Championship. Surrey's Adam Svensson paired with world number one, Scotty Scheffler today. And Svensson had himself a fine round in great company. Birdie at the par 3-8, gets it to 7-under. And then at the 14th from 88 yards out, Adam with uh, some nice touch with the short iron here, knocks it to about 5 feet. Svensson, four under 66. Good round. He's tied for 15th at minus nine. Scheffler, by the way, shot a 65. He's at 10 under. Xander Schauffele shot twin 63s Thursday and Friday. Had a five-shot lead when the day began, but needed this birdie at 16 to take the solo lead against playing partner and good buddy Patrick Cantlay on 17. Schauffele from 160 out. How about this shot? Knocks it to within four feet, trying to build that lead on Cantlay. But uh, moments later, Cantley steps up and hits his shot, and it's even better. This one just a couple feet away. Both players made birdies. Shoffley, though, leads at 17 under. Cantley just one back at minus 16. The Women's PGA Championship is at Congressional in Washington, D.C. That's a major for the ladies. Canada's Brooke Henderson won this tournament back in 2016 when she was just 18. Had an up-and-down day or highlight here, scoring uh, the birdie off the green using a fairway medal, knocking it in off the collar, but she bogeyed the 18th. But Brooke still in the mix, tied sixth at minus three. South Korea's Inji Chun shot an eight under 64 in round one, has led by as many as eight, but she let the field back in after this wayward shot out of the fescue, made double bogey. She's at minus eight. Her lead is down to three, so Henderson just five back with one round to go at Congressional. And Memorial Cup round Robin from St. John, New Brunswick. Host Sea Dogs taking on the Quebec League champion Shawinigan Cataracts, and this was the William Dufour show. 56 goals during the regular season for St. John, and Sea Dogs were down 3 0, but his second of the game made it 3 2, and then later in the second, cashes his own rebound for the hat trick, ties it at three. He is an Islanders draft from 2020 to the third, now 4 3 St. John, and guess who gets the insurance goal? William Dufour with his fourth of the game. St. John win 5 3. They advance directly to Wednesday's final. Shawinigan and Hamilton meet in the semi on Monday. Edmonton Oil Kings were eliminated last night. That's it for sports. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. A North Vancouver cat is getting a lot of attention on social media these days after taking on an unwanted visitor. The feline came face to face with a black bear and managed to chase the bear away before getting too close. And it's not the first time the brave cat has beaten the odds. Tigger knows how to hold his own. He doesn't know what to make of it. From deterring neighborhood dogs... Sparring with his fellow feline. 
and even stealing chicken, Gavin and Cameron Sturrock are rarely phased by his behavior. Literally, I was just frozen. But earlier this week, their two-year-old Bengal cat took defending the perimeter to a new level. I was carrying this, this uh, two boxes of Nerf guns and Nerf darts right, for this event that we're organizing. Preparing for a Nerf war camping trip, Gavin walked outside to a battle on his driveway. A black bear he'd seen before had returned. What was different, I didn't notice right away, but my little cat was just like, he was right here, right? And Tigger had no fear. He was like two feet away from this bear. And I was like, I was freaked out. I was like, oh my God, this bear is going to eat my cat, like right now. Tigger, come back, Tigger. Oh Instead, like he doesn't listen to me. He's like, he walks closer to the, the, the bear, right? Gavin took out his phone just in time to catch Tigger arch his back and take on the bear in a five-second face-off. Oh my god, right? Like, how, how, how? Tigger, come back. Tigger. The bear backs up and runs away. I saw the cat, like, just chase after the bear, and then I was like, no way. With Tigger in pursuit, the bear fled the backyard and hasn't been back. Not bad for a cat, these brothers say already cheated death once. He had this disease called FIP, feline infectious periodontitis. It is basically a death sentence. Tigger managed to beat the viral disease caused by a feline coronavirus. He goes from that, gets all better, and becomes a bear fighter. Tigger, come back. Tigger. Kristen Robinson. Oh, Global News. And it turns out Tigger's brother has also used up at least one of his nine lives. This is Taz being rescued by North Vancouver District firefighters on New Year's Eve in 2020. The then seven-month-old Bengal cat somehow got stuck at the top of a nine-meter tree. After some coaxing, a firefighter got Taz onto his shoulder and carried him down. There was a rough landing near the bottom, but Taz was reunited with Tigger. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.